Having a kid is obviously a biological or a legal change. You biologically create the kid or you adopt the kid. There is having a kid and then there's being a parent. And to me, the difference there is the identification. I'm not saying that when you become a parent, the kid becomes a central part of your life, but it does become central to your life. And there are a lot of people, unfortunately, who have kids who are not parents. Hey, everybody, guess who we've got back on the show? You can tell by his cold intro there, his voice. It's Mr. Ryan Holiday. Now, I'm guessing that you know who Ryan is. Long-time friend. I think he now has first place uh, as the, the person who's had the most guest appearances here on the show. Ryan Holiday is the best-selling author of Trust Me, I'm Lying, The Obstacle is the Way, Ego is the Enemy, Conspiracy, and lots of other books about marketing, culture, and specifically the human condition. You may know him expressly through his um, his views and his popularization of stoic philosophy across our culture today. Um, dear friend of ours here on the show, um, and to, to know him personally is to say that he actually lives a life that looks so much like what he shares here, not just in today's episode, but in his previous ones as well. Today's special because we're talking about something that's well, it, it largely looks through a lens of Stoic philosophy, but it's specifically talking about parenting. This is a new book Ryan has out called The Daily Dad. He also has a website and a podcast that share the same name. But before you would say, wait a minute, I'm not a dad or I don't plan to be a dad, which does describe me. As you know, I'm the father only to a, uh, a puppy golden retriever, which I'm just to be clear, I know that is not actually a father. and it is much different than being an, an actual father. Regardless of where you sit on the parenting spectrum, today's episode is very insightful. You see, becoming a parent is a lot more than just a biological process, right? This is a commitment, a lifelong commitment to sacrifice, to service, uh, and importantly, to love, which I would not uh, necessarily historically have associated this concept of love with a view that the stoics would hold and i think that's i'm i'm falling into the same trap that so many of us do about the stoics and about ryan's philosophy and importantly a philosophy that we can all benefit from so today's episode especially for the parents but if you're not this is not not for you i got so much out of this conversation can't wait for you to uh enjoy it yours truly and the one and only inimitable mr ryan holiday Hey everybody, guess what? We got Ryan Holiday back on the show. Ryan, welcome back, my friend. Yeah, what is this, five times? Stinks though, and you're the leading guest. It's because you're so damn prolific. God, you're a beast. I try, I try. Beast, did you know that you were going to put out like four books a year? Well, I'm actually in the middle. This is the first, so I, I do have this book coming out, but I was, I was supposed to do, I, I was been working on this series on the Cardinal Virtues, so what, uh, Courage, Temperance, Justice, Wisdom. And I was supposed to do each one of those in four years. So one book in four years. And so I hit, I actually, this is the first time I've ever done this in my life. Uh, the Justice book was supposed to come out in September of this year. So I have to do two books this year. And uh, maybe I'm getting older or maybe I'm finally getting a hold of myself. But I was like, you know what? I think that's too much. And uh, I, I pushed it a little bit. <laughs> uh, yeah, I'm sure that... Um... Your wife and children, which is an interesting segue to our topic today, but value having you present a little bit more. But I also know that you have a pretty regimented way of working. You work mostly, as I understand it, in the morning. But I'm going to, I think it's a reasonable place to start off by saying, okay, you have historically written about stoicism, especially in the last, you know, five plus years. That's been your focus. Prior to that, and we had you on, I think we've shared this nugget before that the first interview you ever did for your first book called Trust Me, I'm Lying was on this show, which I'm very proud of. Mm -hmm. um, that was a different universe for you. You were still working um, in fashion and helping uh, understand, navigate the media system uh, that ended up being very prescient. If, if you take those 
those early works, and there was also a work in there um, about Peter Thiel, right? Which was what was, mm-hmm. what was the title of that one? Conspiracy. Conspiracy. Yeah. So there's a there's sort of chapter one, chapter two. Uh, I would say is very deeply focused on stoicism, which you just highlighted in your your little intro salvo there about um, you know how many books you got and on the four card uh-huh. virtues, etc. This is a different program. You are now sort of. in, yeah, you are now, uh, at this, what we're talking about today is your newest book called The Daily Dad, which I understand overlaps with stoicism, um, especially as you presented it. But where did this topic come from? Because I, I do not, uh, I mean, I didn't see it coming. Yeah. And I'm excited to know a little bit more about it. So for the parents out there in the world and to everyone who had a dad, let's hear from Ryan Holiday. Well, it indirectly came from our, our mutual friend and agent, Steve Hanselman, um, who several, uh, almost 10 years ago now, started putting this bug in my ear about doing uh, a page a day book about Stoic philosophy, which I ended up doing called The Daily Stoic. And, and I said, you know, who reads these page a day books? What a weird thing, right? And he was like, look, when I, he, he told me that he had been the, uh, the publisher uh, at, at HarperCollins, they did a book called The Daily Drucker. Uh, Peter Drucker, like the great management expert, um, they'd taken his collected works and they put it into one page a day format, which I read. And I was like, oh, this is great. Like, is someone like Peter, you're like, well, where do I start? Like, what is the book that I can read to get this person's like sort of whole philosophy? Um, and there isn't one. And then actually what you learn reading a page a day book is that the best way to learn is not to do something once but to do it in kind of an engaged, ongoing way, right? like a process. Like most books, and I'm surrounded by books, I love books, the fundamental flaw of, of books is that they tend to be designed to be written, uh, sorry, to be read one time. Like you pick up the book and you read it and then you go, I have read that book. Um, actually, books are better if you are reading them. Like I, I heard this great joke, someone was saying like, um, I haven't watched The Office. They said, I'm watching The Office. Like they just watched it in reruns all the time. Right. And, and, and so Steve had first suggested that I do this with stoicism. He's like, you know, one page a day, the best stoic wisdom, and people come to it year in and year out, which we did in 2016. It's now sold like almost 2 million copies. It's in 30 languages. People have been reading that book ev- every single day all over the world in 30 different languages for, you know, um, eight years. Uh, it's crazy. And so right around the time uh, my wife was pregnant with our first kid, right around the time I was doing The, the Daily Stoic. And I went and I read all the parenting books. Um, and I ran into the same thing we we're just talking about, which is that I read the books, right? So you read this parenting book, and they're like, and then, you know, when your kid is 11, you should do this. And I just remember thinking, like, how the fuck am I supposed to remember this 11 years from now? Right. Like, I just can't get advice on how to be a parent. Like, you're reading what to expect when you're expecting. You don't even have the kid yet. You're talking about the third trimester and your kid's only 11 weeks in the womb. Right. So um, I just found that it was I was kind of bumping into the same the same issue, which is. Like parenting isn't this thing that you just get explained to you once and then you get it. It has to be a thing that you're returning to over and over again and you're and you're revisiting the same lessons and virtues and, and values. So long long way of saying what I ended up doing was I had no idea that I would write a book about it, but I just started doing an email about it. And so in 2017 or 18, I just started sending out this Daily Dad newsletter, one sort of thought a day, writing for myself, sort of a meditation on things that I, I had read or things that I wanted to remind myself of. And now, many years later, that is this book. If anyone has turned the life that they live into a series of amazing, great, published, tightly bound products, it's you. And you're <laughs> constantly, you know, and I, I, I listened to our, uh, the last show that we recorded together and we talked a little bit about your process and I don't necessarily, I would rather steer people to that show than completely retrot it out here. But 
I find it fascinating that you are writing about the things you're living and those things ultimately they start off as notes, then they go into your card system and then they, they become a book. And there's a, a lesson to be learned there about always creating and the things that you're creating in small, lightweight, daily ways, those can end up becoming, you know, massive projects and even the cornerstone of your career or your life. I'm wondering if you would advise this. And if you find that it's just a really healthy, happy thing, regardless of the format of the book, I'm thinking a little yeah. bit more about, about process here. You know, how, how do you, you know, what would you, would you champion that? Is, is this advice you would give to our, our readers out there? I think you know this as an entrepreneur, you're, you're always scratching your own itch to a certain degree, right? And so what tends to happen is you as a consumer, as a person, as a whatever you are, you have some problem. And then you go looking, you go, surely I'm not the first person to have this problem. Surely someone smarter than me a long time ago already solved this problem, right? They, they made the movie about this. They wrote the book about this. You know, they started the course about this or you know, invented the, 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 the invention about this. And you go looking for it. And then it's not there. And then you, you kind of go, okay, I can sit and wait around for someone else to do it, or I can do it. And I tend to, as a writer, think not like, hey, is this, there, there's, there's certainly things that I come across, I go, it would be great if there was a book about this. Um, I don't write all of those books, right? Um, I only write them when I think, hey, I would be better for writing that book. So my book about Peter Thiel, for instance, I was really excited to do, not just because I thought the story was interesting and not just because I had a unique set of access to it, but like I had never written that style of book. And I thought I would be challenged by having to read all these legal documents, interview these people, sort of develop a new um, style and skill set to be able to get to the other side of that project. And on Daily Dad, it's, it wasn't that because I'd already done that style of book. But I was very much thinking, you know, if I sit down and I have to translate and explain and codify the best parenting advice of all time, you know, every single day for, you know, the, the rest of my life for however long I've signed up for this, I, I will probably, some of that will seep in by osmosis, right? Like, just the exposure alone will make me better. And so, you know, the the process or the commitment of having started this thing has really forced me to think about, it, it, I wouldn't say it's challenged me too much as a writer, but as a person and then as a parent, it's forced me to go, well, what do I think about this? You know, um, how should this go? You know, I, I'm I'm basically just being forced to, Put this stuff down, and then like I just had the unique experience of reading the audiobook. Like then you go back through your own work, and you're like, oh yeah, I believe that to be true. I'm at like a three out of ten as far as actually applying it, and that's something I need to work on. Trapped up, and that was fascinating. By the way, I'm trapped up, and all that was a lot of um, use a lot of identifiers and. The identities that we carry around in our sort of backpack, I'm a writer or I'm a photographer, or I'm a dad or a husband or, you know, like all these different things. What, um, you know, what, what role do you think about that in terms of your own life? Like, what am I and in what order, like person, father, how, like, how do you stack rank those? I'm fascinated by identity. I'm writing a lot about it right now in my own, you know, personal journaling and I'm working on book two. Um, right now, so I'm curious. If you can, you know, how do you? Because we're so many different things, especially now. We used to just be like, I'm an author, and now you, ha you know, you're a publisher, you're a bookstore owner, you're a, you know, uh, you, you have a massive YouTube channel. So, how do you think about all these different roles and identities? One of the things that I find really interesting is is like having a kid is obviously a biological or a legal change, right? Like. You, you biologically create the kid or you adopt the kid or the kid joins your extended fit. You, there is having a kid and then there's being a parent, right? And to me, the difference there is, is the identification, right? 
Um, I'm not saying that when you become uh, a parent, uh, the kid becomes the, the, the central part of your life, but it does become central to your life. And there are a lot of people, unfortunately, who have kids, right, who are not parents, right? They, they don't. the bullet with that, right? I think. Yeah. Let me, let me just. A lot of people have kids, not enough people want to be parents. It might seem like having a kid is what makes you a mother or a father, but we all know it isn't. Fast forward. This is not parenting. This is the minimum. Yeah. And, and so, you know, the decision to say like, hey, I'm really going to make a go of this thing, that I'm really going to do this right, is a decision that you have to make that un unfortunately not everyone makes. And, and maybe people listening, their parents, you know, thankfully brought them into the world, but they never took that sort of next step. And I, I would say, you know, with much lower stakes, this is also true in the creative field. I know a lot of people that have books that are not writers and that certainly I wouldn't identify as authors, right? And so the decision to say, hey, like, this is who I am. This is central to my existence, to my identity, to where I derive meaning and purpose in the world. That is a big shift. And I think it's impossible to be really great, to be truly great at that thing without making that shift, right? Like you can be tall, you can have a contract to play for an NBA team, um, but you're not like a ball player unless you decide like, this is it for me. This is my primary means of, you know, doing what I do. And, you know, I don't, you, you're never going to be let alone Michael Jordan, but even be like, uh, you know, a true pro until you make that shift. And I think I think about that in regards to our, our friend Stephen Pressfield's work, you know, the decision to turn pro that doesn't happen when you sign your first contract or you make your first dollar. Turning pro is a state of mind. It's a it's a decision and it's a shift. And I I think it's just also a really important one to make as parents. And I think, you know, historically, mothers have made that shift uh, as a, let's say, as a general rule, um, more than fathers have. You know, like there are, there are lots of dads who have kids, right? And it's only been more recently, um, thankfully, but it's only been more recently that like both parents have culturally um, had the sort of pressure and the expectation that like, you're, this this thing is central to who you are, not just a thing that lives in your house. <laughs> I mean, I'm sorry, I'm laughing, but I mean, the, the, it's, you know, when we were, my question around identity was founded in exactly that, the opening of the book, which is, I think, a powerful and smart one. Um, but the, I, what I was chuckling is, so I am the closest I have ever been to a dad besides having one. Yes, uh, my wife and I adopted a seven-month-old puppy. And to be clear, I'm not making the direct connection between raising a child and raising a puppy. However, I experienced the same sort of identity shift. Yes. I'm like, okay, I am a dog owner now. I have a responsibility that my dog is well-behaved and is all these things. And for the first, this is a confession, for the first couple of months, so our first dog, we had a couple yeah. of other pets together, but my wife and I, that is. And I was, uh, it lived in my house and I yes. was nice to it. And then partway through, I'm like, this is not going to work. Like I was thinking my house stays the same. The dog lives in it. Again, we're talking about a dog, not a human. So sure. I, I am, I was so intimately aware with this shift in identity where I had to go, no, 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 no. This is not going to work if I'm not all in on this thing. And so as this, this small, what I would consider a lowercase t transformation that I, I had to go through in order to become one who was a, identifies as a dog owner, I'm going to make, make it great for the dog and for me and my family and my friends. I can only imagine that the, the pressure, the realization is like a 10 or a hundred X with a little human. So I'm thinking right now that there are a bunch of people who are listening and or watching who are already parents. And I think there's a lot of in, insane wisdom. I've got the book open here in front of me. I wanted to 
highlight a few chapters and a few points in the book. But I want to speak for a second to the people who are on the precipice of this decision. They're either expecting or um, they have to go through this adoption of a new identity, or I would say you're encouraging people, especially in the opening of the book. Can you speak to them for just a second? Well, one of the things I was writing about this morning as I was thinking about this is, is that um, we all spend a lot of time and energy trying to get better at things in our lives, right? I think about you know the time you put in at the office, the time you put in at the gym, the self-help things you read. Like We all spend time trying to get better. Um, but most of that tends to be at sort of external stuff. There's this interesting passage in meditations where Marcus Aurelius is talking about he's like he says you're trying to be a better wrestler but you're not trying to be a better friend a better person he says you're not trying to be a better uh you know shoulder to lean on you're not trying to be a better uh you know forgiver of faults or friend in tight places his point was that we tend to exert our energy at these kind of like superficial means of improvement or success and then we don't focus on getting better at what I would argue for those of us who have uh, a kid, um, which is our most important job, right? So like we'll, we'll sit, I was thinking about this, like we'll sit through the most boring meeting in the entire world if it like helps us in our career. And then your kid wants to play Legos and you're like, oh, I hate Legos. This is so boring. And we won't do it, right? Because um, nobody holds us accountable in this other part of our lives. And so part of what I, and I didn't do this immediately, and it's still an ongoing thing, so I don't want to make it sound like I'm lecturing anyone, but the decision to say like, hey, this is my most important job. Um, I'm going to work really hard at improving at it and growing at it and dedicating myself to it. That's That's what I signed up for, right? And that that's a shift that you have to end up making um, just as you have to make it, you know, when you're interested in writing and it's this fun thing you're doing and then you get to a certain level and just having fun is not sufficient, right? If you want to, if you want to keep cutting it and you want to, you know, sort of keep, you want to do it professionally, you have to, you have to take it up a level of seriousness and dedication. And I feel I feel like we more easily make that shift professionally than we do personally. And this isn't just limited to kids. I mean, how many people work as hard at their marriage as they do, you know, at marketing for their business, right? Like you you don't. And then you wonder why you don't have the same kinds of success feels like not the right word, but you wonder why you run into problems. It's because you're winging it in this, you know, incredibly important area as if the smartest people and just most humans who have ever lived have not learned a lot of these lessons for you and written about them and talked about them and produced art about them. Some wisdom right there. My my um I want to loop all of that in this sort of awareness that you have to transform and take things to the next level. I think that has to do with Again, mutual friend James Clear about the habits. Like, what are you actually? Yeah. It's not, you can't solve this stuff in your mind from the couch. It's a very active process. It has to do with transforming, with changing the way that you behave in the world on a small, sort of lightweight day to day fair. And to me, this is the genius of the, you know, page every day. Now, when I cannot not, like, again, I've got, the book open in front of me here and I cannot not read ahead because <laughs> I'm so this the format that you have um pioneered with daily stoic I mean you know other people have done this before but the you know millions of copies of this book out there again I was an early recipient of that also found that cool I'm not really sure this is this format's for me I'm going to check it out I respect sure. Brian and Steve and and yet I found myself opening up all the time and still, I will read 20 pages in a sitting and then, you know, continue to revisit it. So my point is, this is about habits. And the question now is, do you feel like the best way to adopt these, the mentality that's required to be a great parent is in this sort of day-to-day -day way? Or is that just a convenient approximation because the Daily Stoic was very successful that it's a similar package? 
I, I think it's about making some kind of minimum commitment every day, right? So J James uh, and I have talked about, James Clear and I have talked about this, this idea of like, you know, look, if you commit to like an hour a day of writing, you'll probably do more than that. But if you commit to like, I hope I'll get some writing in today, you probably won't get to it. And so I think the idea in the Daily Dad or in the emails I do, or, or even the sort of philosophical reading I do, or the journaling that I do, it's like, look, my commitment is that I do a little bit every day, right? Some small amount every day. And if I get excited about it, if I get into a groove on it, I'll do more. But the idea is like, what is, what is the one thing you're doing? And there's a, there's a beautiful uh, letter that Seneca writes to his friend Lucilius where he's talking about, he's like, look, he's like, you should find one thing every day, like a quote or a story or a anecdote. Um, he says that fortifies you against death, against poverty, against chance. Like he's like, just find one thing a day. And his point was that one thing a day adds up, right? So I think a lot of times we look for that transformation in one swoop. Like they're like, how can I get rid of all my bad habits and become this new person? Uh, obviously, I'll do that by reading this one popular self-help book or taking this one course or, you know. Uh, going to this one AA meeting. And it's like, that's not how it works, right? It, it, it's, a, it's a process of rebuilding or of like the way that a bank balance grows by making deposits every day and then the compounding effect of the interest on top of that. So when, when, one, sit, when one makes a commitment like, hey, I want to get better at this thing. So I'm going to start here. I'm going to start by reading one page a day. I'm going to, you know, watch one TED talk a day. I'm going to watch one TikTok. Like, I'm going to find one thing each day that makes me better at this thing that's really important to me. That adds up. Um, and it, it's very doable, right? It's very doable. Not everyone can go to a 30-day silent meditation retreat, but you can go, I'm going to give myself 30 good seconds in the morning where I close my eyes and I just count my breath. And then, you know, sometimes that 30 seconds turns into three minutes and that, you know, that three minutes turns into 30 minutes. Like that's how you want to do it. Okay. I, uh, to me, that makes a ton of sense. And I'm, you know, again, having prepared for our conversation today by reading a lot of these reading ahead, which is the same thing that I do invariably on your other, you know, 365 day books, daily stoic in particular. Um, if you buy what you're just selling, that the way to do this is by a small, lightweight commitment every day that has a sense of compounding, <clears throat> compounding value, which I buy into. What is, what is the most difficult? What have you found to be as a dad and as writing about being a dad, maybe even as observing your wife, Sam, as a mother? What is or what are the most difficult things that you find about being a parent and how does what you've just written help solve them? It, there's a bunch. I mean, I mean, I don't think there's anything that I would say, you know where I really crush it as a parent? It's like here, right? Like I don't, I don't think there's many parents that think that they're crushing it, unfortunately, as we're all sort of hopelessly outmatched. Um, but, but a couple of areas where I particularly struggle, I I find that it's very hard to give your kids what you didn't get, right? Um, if you grew up poor and then you made a lot of money, it's, you know, it's easier to give your kids money. I'm, I'm talking more like if you didn't have extremely loving or patient or fun parents, right, to pick three random traits, it's hard to be uh, patient uh, or fun or loving because not only did you take from your parents that perhaps you weren't worthy of those things, but you never actually saw how to do those, right? So I think it's, it's very hard to give what you didn't get. But the struggle there is because you didn't get it, you know how fucking important it is, right? Like, so the, the thing that you wanted the most, you are the most ill-equipped to give to your children. And so I really struggle with just sort of constantly reminding myself, um, Hey, like this thing meant a lot to you as a kid. How do you make sure that you show up and do that for your kids? So giving what you didn't get. Um, I think in a world of devices and noise and distractions, like being present, which I would essentially say is a synonym with good parenting, like, like being present and being a good parent are the same thing, 
right? Like it, or at least it is impossible to be a good parent and not be present, right? Like if you are not where you are, if you're not with your kids when you're with your kids, um, it's hard to be, it's hard to do a good job. So I think being present when you have this, you know, thing that's buzzing, when you have a million demands under time, it's very hard to be present for me. And so that's something I have to be very intentional about, you know, um, uh, leaving your phone in the other room, you know, setting boundaries. I, I think that's all uh, what, what that, that's something that I, I definitely struggle with a lot. Uh, and then the third thing that I think um, I think about a lot, and again, it's hard depending on how you grew up, but like I have never once gotten frustrated or lost my temper with my kids or honestly with anyone. And then afterwards, either immediately or later, been like, I'm so glad that I did that. <laughs> Right. Like you're always like, what? Why did I care so much about that? Or like how embarrassing that was. And so in the Stoic, one of the big themes of, of the Stoics and that one of the things I feel like is a constant battle in my life is just, you know, not losing your temper, being in command of yourself emotionally. Um, that's, you know, all all these things are easier said than done. And and so, again, just hoping that you'll magically get better at those things is naive. And I think just insufficient. So what are the what are the practices? What are the reminders? What's the sort of ongoing conversation for each of us that allows us to get not magically perfect at those things, but a little better every day? The stoicism, you know, I was talking about at the, you know, early on in our conversation this morning, like you had this explore, exploration phase of the work that you were doing in a couple of different disciplines. Then you focused on stoicism and, you know, I, I positioned it. So now this is a new book on parenting, but it's very clear um, from anyone who's read the book. Again, I'm grateful enough to have an advanced copy, but anyone in the world can buy this now. And one of the things that you are going to see when you get this book is there's a presence, there's a stoicism present to sure. work. Is it because the central one of the central tenets of stoicism is it's not what happens to you but it's how you respond and is that just a, a beautiful layer to put into parenting or are there is there some other rationale for stoicism being such a uh key piece of your new work here around parenting well i, th I think that's about as good as you can get of a definition of stoicism it's not what happens it's how you respond to what happens and that also happens to be the life of a parent as well as the life of a leader or an entrepreneur, right? Like shit happens. And then how do you respond to that? Do you lose your cool? Do you use it as an opportunity? Do you use it as a teachable moment? Uh, does it make you more connected or less connected? Um, does, does it grow the business or take away from the business, right? These are the questions that we have to constantly ask when things happen, whether it's a a pandemic or a car accident or you know uh, a c minus in calculus right like how how are we going to respond to what happens both as the parent and then as the child that we're trying to teach um so so i i, I do think if i was just thinking of stoicism as this philosophy i would have incorporated it into the book in the same way that i draw on buddhism and some christian thought and and all these other different lessons right but the real reason that I think Stoicism and parenting go together is actually goes to the history of Stoicism, which it was one of the first philosophical traditions to say, get married, have kids, be a person in the world. Don't retreat to your books or the academy or your monastery, but that, that philosophy is a way that one lives one's life in all the ways that life is as opposed to a kind of a withdrawal from life or a um you know a, a separation from life the, the stoics were parents and they were spouses in addition to being people with careers or artists or soldiers or in Marcus Aurelius's case a father of 11 or 12 children and the emperor of Rome and a practicing stoic philosopher and so all these roles kind of inform and influence each other. And if we, if, we, if we think of philosophy then as a sort of a parenting uh, practice, I think we're closer to how it was meant to be in the ancient world. I love the bridge. Basically, I think that's very, very effective. 
And also something, I guess, that another bridge, this is, if that is a bridge between stoicism and parenting, or even stoicism and real life. Yeah. yeah. I love, uh, I'm going to create another or reinforce another bridge that you've already talked about is this, this sort of daily habit aspect. Yeah. Um, I found this in the Daily Stoic, and I can see it here in this new work. There's some something akin to just not being alone. And, you know, if I, you know, again, I think of myself as a dog parent, like I, it doesn't matter what I'm in charge of raising. Like I want to do a good job and I'm constantly feeling under under, like I don't have the right information. If I just had some, you know, and I'm more seeking, like my wife wants our dog to be a therapy dog. So the dog can't like see a squirrel and run after it. It can't, you know, it has to be able to sit quietly. And right now he's a yeah. seven and a half month old puppy. So I'm, I use that because I'm constantly seeking information, sure. constantly feeling totally <laughs> not incapable, but undergunned, overwhelmed. Like I'm always one step behind versus in other areas of my life, I feel like I'm a step ahead. So did you write this book? I guess there's a sense of sort of mentorship. And I'm reading between the lines here because no one does it say, I'm going to be your mentor. And is this, is this, Ryan speaking to the audience? Is this a school of philosophy speaking to, you know, the parent who's reading this? Is there's a sense of sort of we're all in this together, but there's like a co co mentorship thing going on. And how are you thinking about it when you wrote it? And I can't help but see this in the work. And you know, maybe I'm reading between the lines and it's not really there, but I like the mentor aspect. Is that intentional? Yeah, I think there's two ways to think about you know, really anything that you're doing, raising a dog or kids or starting a company, which is one, you can look at all these other people and you could be like, they're so much further along than me. They're doing so much better than me. I'm, you know, woefully insufficient, sort of imposter syndrome. And the other way to look at it is like, people have been doing this for an extremely long time, right? Um, right, right. Like I literally it's, it's the oldest thing that people have been doing. And, um, they it's not to say that they figured it out but they've learned a lot of lessons uh good and bad uh by trial and error and that it's silly to not try to avail yourself of those lessons but i also think there's something beautiful and inspiring and reassuring about seeing yourself as sort of an heir to a tradition right like when you're um up late at night with a 6 month old just as when you're out walking your dog when it's 20 degrees outside and you pass somebody else walking their dog at 20 in 20 degrees outside, you're like, man, we are just deep in the same thing, aren't we? Like we both signed up for the same thing. And it doesn't matter if you're a billionaire and I'm a college student, we are in this little area on the same wavelength. And kind of seeing yourself as part of this tradition, there's this really mind-blowing thing in uh in white sands new mexico in white sands national park there's this series of footprints that uh they think is the oldest mark of human beings in on the north american continent it's about twenty thousand years old and it's these footprints that are in this sort of sand that somehow got preserved and fossilized and it's not just one set of footprints it's uh some footprints and then some little footprints and then some big footprints and little footprints. And basically, any parent can relate to it, maybe even a dog parent, which is you're carrying your kid and then they go, I want to be put down, put me down. And then you put them down and then they walk. This happened on my walk with my kids yesterday morning. They walk about 100 feet and then they're like, I'm tired of walking. Pick me up. And then you just do this over and over again until you eventually get where you're going, whether it's to the beach or the doctor's office or, uh, you know, the backyard or whatever it is. And realizing that, hey, for this is some fossilized evidence that for 20,000 years, people have been doing the same thing. And you can imagine this parent finding it cute at first, then being exasperated, then being cute again, then exasperated, then tired. And you're like, hey, man, we're on the same journey. Like your footprints are being crossed by giant sloths and all these prehistoric animals. But like, it's what I'm doing here in, you know, the 21st century. Also, I think it, understanding and appreciating your kinship with all the people that have ever done this thing, whether it's 
photographers, which is, you know, a 150-year-old medium, whether it's art or poetry, which is, you know, a 5,000-year-old medium, um, you know, whatever it is that you're doing, people have been doing that a long time. And I think there's something really magical about meditating on that for a minute. Yeah, there's some sort of comfort. And when I look at um, my friends, uh, so I'm, I have the auspicious title of Funko, right? I'm the fun uncle. Yes. And, uh -huh. Which is a really lovely place to be if you're me, but it allows me to peer into the windows and lives. You know, I think not the true grit, but I get to see enough of enough of my friends lives and the lives that the relationship yeah. that they have with their kids and the relationship that I have with their kids that you get to see a fascinating array of styles. And one of the things that I used to think that I don't believe now, I was hoping you could either or confirm or deny or maybe just share a little bit of insight. I used to think there was, you know, simplistically speaking, sort of good and bad, sort of right and wrong, and it was a lot less gray to me. And mm. now that I've seen into, you know, a lot more lives just at the time I'm at in my life and my friends having children and whatnot, you can see that so many things are effective. And yeah. I'm wondering, you know, how do you approach that when you're writing a book about this stuff, knowing that, you know, what works in, you know, one universe can completely fail in another. And, and so how, when you're treating a, uh, piece of work like you're you've undertaken here how do you how do you account for that and do you feel like you're you're preaching or there is there space in your philosophy or the philosophy of the daily dad to you know leave room for this yeah i i think so much of the energy and the literature and the focus of parenting for a very long time has been about things that like do not matter at all right um how do I get my kid into a good college? How do I make sure that they're obedient? You know, how do I get them to respect me? You know, how do I make sure they don't talk back? You know, how do I keep my house clean? Um, how do I make them read as early as possible or whatever it is, right? So, so much of the focus is on like the things that don't matter at all, that at the end of your life and you look back and you go, was I a good parent or not? You're not going to be like, well, my son makes you know, X amount per year, and my daughter has this many degrees, obviously I did a good job, right? You're going to think, are they good people? Do we have a good relationship, right? Did they make the world better, right? Did we spend enough time together? You know, you're going to be asking yourself those kinds of questions, which are not how we tend to evaluate and monitor ourselves or our relationships day to day, right? So, I'll give you an example. We think, what well, we tell ourselves, hey, I want my kid to be a lifelong learner, someone who's really smart and curious and creative and getting better and you know, informed about the world, all this stuff, right? That's what we want our kids to be. That's the end goal. And yet, what do we measure? We measure how they're doing in first grade, right? We see, we, we, we compare their SAT scores with another kid's SAT scores, which we all know from our own experience has very little bearing to like who we are as adults, right? All you think about when you get older is how silly the focus was on school and how inconsequential many of these things turned out to be. And it, it, it almost sours you on the entire endeavor, what's, uh, entire endeavor altogether. So I think it's really important that we ask ourselves, like, what do, what actually matters to me? Like, what what are the what am I? What is success here? Like, you have to ask yourself that is in business, right? Success isn't just like I hope all these things happen. You go, no, I want this, this, and this, and really asking yourself, like, what am I trying to do? And then is this thing that I'm getting upset about, that I'm obsessing over, that I'm comparing myself or uh, my family against another family with? Is that related to this outcome at all or is it just easy you know in in marketing we talk about vanity metrics right people look at how many views something gets and they go oh is a success or failure but that doesn't account for the the kind of impact that it has on people whether it has staying power or not whether it was actually artistically good or not and so you know 
it's really important that we focus on what actually matters. And I, I tried to write the book around those things. You know, I'm talking about raising a reader, not raising uh, an honor roll student, right? Because those are very different things. A couple of other, this might be a good time to inject a couple of other key headlines. And the way the book is structured, obviously, with the daily daily read um, is on a calendar day. And yeah. so if you break that down, it breaks down as our calendar does into months. And these months have themes. So, yeah. you know, here we are. Raise a Reader is the September theme. Um, a couple of others that I wanted to highlight here and get you to comment on. Um, one, teach by example. And I'm... Mm -hmm. and to love unconditionally. So those are two that I wanted. Ironically, those are January and February, so they kick off the book yeah. very strongly. But these are both things that um, probably not coincidentally have already come up in our conversation, right? This The idea of raising a lifelong learner is you're, you're teaching by example, but in there is embedded the idea of well, we're always sort of learning based on the environment that we're in and we're seeing other people and how they behave and, and whatnot. So one, talk about, talk about lifelong learning and teaching by example. And then two, love unconditionally, which let's just be crystal clear, stoic philosophy does not have the image of being very cuddly, mm. right? The stoics. And, sure. and I think you can, mis you, you, you can misunderstand this culturally, which is one of the reasons I wanted to get your comment on it. But um, and yet if you, if you read Marcus Aurelius or meditations, you know, you see a lot of presence, like I want to be there. I want to, you know, see the sight, see the sights and smell the smells. And, you know, we get a lot of early in your books, like I write, I'm writing this, I can smell the, you know, the food cooking in the street and I can hear the din of X. So there is a sort of an awareness when you get into stoicism, but I mean, think of the word stoic, you know, like, oh, he's a very stoic uh, gentleman or she is stoic in her approach to X. It doesn't conjure up all this sort of cuddliness. And yet chapter, you know, or heading to February is about love and loving unconditionally. So yeah, these two things, lifelong learning and loving unconditionally, I get that I get the first one, but yeah, talk about that for first. And then I want to get to love. All right. So there's a story about Marcus Aurelius. He's an old man. He's has his kids, he's probably a grandfather by this point. And he um he's seen leaving his palace. And uh, his friend goes, oh, where are you going? And he says, oh, I'm off to see Sextus the philosopher. And the man says, why? And he says, um, to learn that which I do not yet know. And uh, the man says, this is amazing. You know, the, here you have the emperor of Rome, this wise, you know, beloved figure. Taking, he says, taking up his tablets and going to school. And you think about what a powerful example that would be for his children, right? We say... We want our kids to be lifelong learners. We say learning never stops. We say there's a difference between school and education. But how many parents or people, for that matter, actually demonstrate that in their life in any way, right? The amount of people that I've met that, that say, you know, uh, without shame, you know, I haven't read a book since high school, right? Uh, that, that, that have no idea what's happening in the world, let alone, you know, take a creative live course or a course at the local community college or do any, like what, how have you demonstrated to your kids that learning is the thing you do for life? I mean, I, I, one of the entries I have in the book, I talk about how like, if you were to ask a kid what the best part of being an adult is, you might hear them say, you don't have to go to school anymore because they, that's, that's what seems to mark the transition into adulthood. You become 18 and they can't force you to go to school anymore. And so if they might think that this thing is over. And so how do we actually demonstrate that to our kids? And then how do we raise them in a household in which learning isn't a chore, but a thing one does voluntarily and enthusiastically for the whole of their life? That to me is what, that is a sign of successful parenting. Not a mistake that you, I'm sure, started with that. But let's get to love because, yes. as I, you know, shared, I'm we think of we think of stoicism as meaning has no emotions. That's, that's what we think, think it means. Yeah, and it, that's part of why I'm interested in this, <laughs> the chosen intersection of, you know, the philosophy of that that you have 
largely built your life and a career around. And yet I know you to be um, not just stoic. And I do think that the image that stoicism has is if you are, I think there's a belief that if you are in charge of your emotions, that you show no emotion or have no emotion. Yes. So I'm hoping you can um, help people who might not get it. And that might, you know, yeah. for whom that might be a, a question or a turnoff. Hit that head on for me. It's important that we, we don't take the word stoic in English, lowercase stoic, as defining what the philosophy or what the philosophers were, right? Um, the Stoics were people who fell in love, who got married, who were scared of things, who bled, who tried to accomplish things. They were human beings in the world with all of what it means to be a human being. And I actually think, you know, very early in, in Mark Surrealis' meditations, he, he touches on this. He talks about one of the things that he learns from Sextus the Philosopher, who we were talking about. He says um, that the key to life, he says, is being free of passion, but full of love. And so what, what he means there is he means free of the passions like fear or anger or lust or jealousy or you know, any of the negative emotions. And he says, but the one emotion you should have is love, like a love for other people, a love for what happens. And so I think, you know, obviously you love your kids, but if your love for your kids is predicated on them being easy, if your love for your kids is predicated on them being successful, if your love for your kids is predicated on them returning that love to you in a way that you, you know, you are, you're not embracing this parenting thing to its fullest extent, right? A parent loves unconditionally and completely. Um, they're, they believe their kid is everything that they, their kid needs to be from the second they're born. There's nothing they need, their kid needs to do to make this all worth it, that to make them proud, you know, to, to pay them back or any of that, right? Your kid uh, is someone you love and appreciate and embrace because of who they are. End of story. Um, and I, th I think the the close and maybe that's an impossible ideal, but the closer we can get to unconditional acceptance and love of our kids, the happier we will be, and then certainly the happier they will be. And you feel like you can get there through a lot of these stoic philosophies. You feel like there's a, a, a ample circuit, or uh, you know, there's enough of a. Well, let's take that most practical exercise in stoicism. Like, is it in your control or is it not in your control? And so much of what you know causes conflict in, I think, relationships between parents and kids, and and I think anyone can relate to this because we all have parents uh, or had legal guardians, let's say that tried to control things that were fundamentally ours to decide, and that caused conflict, right? They wanted us to have a certain career path. They didn't like that we wanted to dye our hair a certain color. They didn't like the way that we talked or who our friends were. They tried to control a bunch of things that in the end don't really matter, but uh, caused tension between us that acceptance or tolerance or appreciation or love would have gone much further in and would have brought us and them together, right? I, I think about the things that I argued with with my parents as a kid, and I can't imagine that many of them, you know, all these years later, they're like, I'm so glad we were so strict about whether, you know, the shoes were lined up next to the front door or not, right? Like, that doesn't matter at all. I, you know, Obviously, it's important that one does well in school, but did we need to have these arguments over report cards? Like, it seems like in the end, it, the importance of that falls away. And, you know, I think if we could all get, if we could all come to life in general, but especially our kids, with more an attitude of acceptance and appreciation and understanding, not only would everyone be happier and there'd be less conflict, but I actually think we get 
to where we want to, we'd want to, we'd get to that compromise or that common ground actually faster because both sides wouldn't be dug in. Interesting. One of the things that I have come to know about life from my own existence and all of the, you know, just take all of the learnings and you try and simplify them. And I'm getting to this based on my own writing and some of the, I mentioned earlier, I work on another book and, and I'm doing more writing now than I maybe have done in my life, um, is the value of attention. And yes. I have come to understand that it's truly pretty much all we have. And then I start to think about, um, well, sh like, how am I in a culture that is obsessed with getting attention? We need it. I mean, and it's, it, it, I understand why, right? The more attention we have, it's easier to sell more books or it's easier to um, make more money or it's easier to get a promotion at work if we get attention sure. for the work. So, you know, so much of our, our lives have been built around getting it. Sure. But if you zoom out far enough and you squint and maybe you even turn inside a little bit, you realize that all that we ever have is our attention. And so what becomes important then is not getting it, but giving it, but how we give it. So this, hopefully that's not a stretch for anybody who's listening or watching, but it occurs to me that in parenting, especially, again, I notice this with my nieces and nephews, um, my ability to be present with them and to pay attention, to give attention is absolutely far and away the most important thing. I just, I know how it feels like when you connect with another person. Hell, I even look at my dog. I was on my phone. Tapping away, and all I want my dog right now, he's in teenage mode, so he's running around like crazy. And I just like when he chills out and sits on my foot and like bows on his bone, I'm like, ah, this is fun. And I noticed the other day I'm on my phone tapping away a kind of couple messages. And I look at him, and he's looking up at me. He's like, I'm right. We're trying to connect here, right? Have you seen uh, Lady Bird, the Greta Gerwig movie? No. She, there's this great line in the movie. She goes, Isn't that what love is? Paying attention. And I think about that all the time. Someone gave me that advice early in my marriage. She said, you know, love is spelled T-I-M-E. And I was like, fuck, yes, <laughs> it totally is, right? Like we say that our family is the most important thing, right? Or that our kids are the most important. Or we also say our work's most important, but like your calendar doesn't fucking lie, right? What does it say in the calendar, right? What does the last week say? What does the last month say? Where do you actually spend your time? Who gets your attention? Um, that's the question, right? But, oh, I want to spend quality time with my kids. That's why we planned this vacation, blah, blah, blah. But where were you during the vacation? You were on your phone. You were planning the next vacation. You were not actually there. And so I think you're totally right. Uh, attention is the most important thing. And that to go to the idea of the, the dichotomy, it's wonderful to get, to be given attention. It's wonderful to, for your kids to love you back. It's wonderful you know, to, to get all of that. But really, the only thing you control is, is giving it. And it just happens, you know, as the Beatles say, you know, what you give is what you end up getting back. It, it's remarkable how simple that is. And yet, if we just, as I feel like we did, we just agreed that yeah. the, the most, the, basically all we have in this world and what um, therefore the most important um, asset attribute, I'm not quite trying to label it, is our attention. And yet, why do we struggle so much? Is it all of the competing things is that we want to, you mentioned like, you know, there's a section of the book, I'm not remembering it right now, but it's sort of like, you know, whatever. It's like good, fast, cheap, pick two. Yes. Work, family, scene. Yeah, work, family, or scene, S-C-E-N-E, picked yeah. two. So it sounds like we agree that attention is the most important thing. And God, can you give us all a little bit of advice on how to show up for our kids in a world where we are measured in so many different ways and we have so many different competing things and attention, if it's the most important thing, how do we 
make our kids feel special? How do we actually deliver on that promise when we feel like there's just so much shit to do, so much stuff that we have to, we can't just always be present. And yet that is the, the most important thing. The, the Stoics have this practice of memento mori, right? And there's one of the only explicit instances we get from Marcus Rios where he's talking about like parenting strategies is in meditations. He goes, when you tuck your child in at night, say to yourself, they may not make it through the morning, right? And that you're like, what? That's uh, well, Who wants to think that? And his point is, I, I think what he is saying, and I, and I think this is the most practical and uh, powerful exercise that you can do as a parent is flash forward to the end of your life, right? Could be 10 years from now, could be 20 minutes from now, it could be 100 years from now, but you're at the end of your life. You would give literally anything for one more minute, right? You would do anything to change one more diaper, right? Uh, to, to, to go to one more baseball game, to sit on the couch for one more minute. That's what you would do anything. You wouldn't want to live longer as you, the old person. You would do anything for one more any time that you could have with your kids. And yet here you are in the present moment, you have that thing in your hands and you're like, but I just got an email and I should probably answer it, right? Like you, you have the thing that you will crave more than anything in the entire world and you are taking it for granted. You are turning away from it. You're rushing through it. And that's what I, I think about every bedtime, right? Bedtime never goes the way that you want it to go. It always takes a little bit longer than you think. You know, they're like, can I read one more book or actually I need another snack? Or, and there's this part of you that's like, well, I'm doing it. I should do it well. And well means quickly, right? And you don't think, fuck, this is the greatest thing in the world. I will never get to put a six-year-old and six-month-old to bed one more. Like, I'll, today is the last day that I will ever get to do it to this person. That, that not, not like metaphorically, but like this person will not, tomorrow will be a different person, right? Um, you'll never get to do it again. And here you are rushing through it because, you know, there's two minutes left in the Seahawks game. Like what? At the end of your life, you won't think I want to go back to that one last drive uh, that I was watching on TV. You'll think, I wish I hadn't rushed through that bedtime that I now can't get back. Uh. The book is called Daily Dad, 366 Meditations on Parenting, Love, and Raising Great Kids. I got to get the leap year or the, the leap day. In. I was just going to say 366 for that one every four years thing. Congratulations on another work. Um, oh, thanks, man. Your career is, uh, is so rich and so full, and you've, you've made a, a great... Um, an, an impact on so many just by how much work you put out into the world. What I know about this thing is it, and it's not different from your other works in that it's more or less valuable, but the practical applications of parenting relative to being a person, because being a person seems like a very abstract thing, even though it's not for all the same reasons that you yeah. just walked through, but the practicality of being a parent and learning on a small day-to-day -day basis of establishing habits of folk, you know, choosing which things are the right things to focus on is very inspirational, even to us uncles, the, the fun uncles and aunts out there in the world. So I want to say thank you. Um, the book is out now, right? I mean, it's, we're, we're recording this uh, in advance. May 2nd. May, May 2. So if you're listening to this the week of, um, which is when we'll probably drop this podcast, highly recommend it. Again, I'm a big fan once a skeptic, now a super big fan of the daily, uh, the daily format. Um, anything else you want to add to? I know that the newsletter is a huge thing, which is in part born the book, if I'm not mistaken, based yep. on what you said earlier. Um, can you round out the narrative for us? Like, where else should people pay attention to? And um, anything else you want yeah. to add about? Yeah, at Daily Dad on Instagram, uh, at Daily Stoic, uh, pretty much all the platforms, and. Uh, yeah, you can get the email totally for free every day at, at dailydad.com. Awesome. Thanks again for being a special guest here, Ryan. You're always welcome. Number five, fifth time is the leader back for a good reason. <laughs> One of the most prolific and creative people I know. Thank you so much for being on the show, Ryan, to everybody out there in the world, whether you're a parent or not, Daily Dad, great for those parents and a fantastic gift. Um, I purchased two extra 
here in my Amazon queue of the when they come out May 2nd. Um, thanks again for being on the show, Ryan. Everybody else in the world, from mine and uh, yours truly, we both bid you adieu. All right. Hey, before you go, thanks so much for listening. And if you got value from this show, chances are your community will too, right? In the particular lies the universal. Please share this link to the show with a friend or mention the show on social. That is a huge benefit for us in hopefully in exchange for providing value to you. I want you to know that I really appreciate your time, the attention, anything that you give to the show and the questions that you ask our guests either on social media or through my text community. All of that is pure gold. This community, like any community, is a testament to that old phrase, a rising tide floats all boats. And by elevating one another, by sharing and resharing this show, the tidbits that you learn and the experiences you take away, all of that has a collective, massive positive impact on the world. So just a quick thank you. I appreciate all the effort you put into sharing for this show. All right, that's a wrap. Let's put today's episode into practice and get back to growing together. Mm-hmm.